Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point advisors, investment consultants, to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Hi, my name is Ben Smith. I'm joined by my co-host, the salt to my pepper. Mr. Curtis Wister, how are you doing today? I'm well. How are you, Ben? Doing great. We're really excited uh, for today's show. We've been talking about this uh, for quite a while. A lot of our clients have have a lot of needs, especially around retirement, and um, and we're really happy to have Diane Walsh here today from Eastern Area Agency on Aging. So welcome, Diane. Thank you. Happy to be here. So uh, one of the things we, we usually do is just kind of get right into our guests and where things are, and then kind of your background, because I think it's really powerful to hear your story, right, of, of, well, why are you in the seat you are and your role? So maybe the first thing is just go into your background, just where you're from. Uh, but I do want to just mention you are the executive director of the of the agency as well. Is that correct? I am, yes. Okay, great. Yes. So let's let's maybe just uh, first part, could you just where are you from and yeah. kind of the growing up and then leading into your school experience there? Sure. So I, I'm from Augusta, Augusta, Maine. Okay. Uh, so I was born, born and raised in Maine. And, uh, went to the University of Maine, uh, right out of high school. And I was one of those, uh, people in their twenties who didn't exactly know what they wanted to do in their twenties. So I finished my associate's degree and kind of spent my twenties exploring different jobs. Uh, and when I turned 30, went back to school, uh, finished my bachelor's degree in social work and went on for an advanced standing program in social work and have my master's degree in social work. And the University of Maine, where I graduated from, they had a great pro- uh, program called the Geriatric Practicum Partnership Program. It's quite a mouthful. Basically, it means there are people who want to graduate, who want to have a specialized interest in geriatrics. Okay. And so I was with four or five other students who also had an interest in working with older adults and had kind of a specialized program where not only did I have a regular internship, but I also had an internship where I would rotate through other organizations who had specialized in working with older adults. So it was a fantastic experience and, and just spending time with people who loved working with older adults. And I, I kind of knew I wanted to do that. I would say my junior year, I had a, a great experience at a, a nursing facility, spending time with older adults. And I knew instantly, I knew that I didn't want to work with children, sure. uh, but I, I, I liked working with adults, but it was through that semester of, of working at the nursing facility that I just loved being around older people, loved listening to their stories, uh, just kind of, it kind of made life slow down a little bit, kind of just made you take a step back and just yeah. say, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be in the moment. And, and, and talk. It would just, for me, it was just a calming experience. And I knew right in that moment, yep, this is what I want to do. <laughs> nice. That's yeah. a cool little yeah. origin story. Yeah. That's really neat. Yeah. So, and so you found that within your school experience. So you'd gone back and then at yeah, the junior year. Yes. What was, what was the genesis in terms of social work though? What, what, like, what did you found in your twenties that, that kind of pushed you to go, you know, that's the area for me that I kind of want to get into and learn more about to, yeah. to get to that point. You know, I had a, interestingly, I had a lot of friends who were social workers. And, and as I started going through social work school, this just kind of appeared to me as I was, I was in school and doing all this reflection. I do a lot of reflection sure. in social work school. <laughs> I have you do a lot of reflecting. I realized that even though my parents weren't social workers, 
that they had both done work in the social work field. My mother worked for the Department of Health and Human Services for over 30 years, and my my father was a, a veterans benefits counselor. So even though they weren't social workers per se with a degree in social work, they were, so I kind of grew up in that too. Interesting. Uh, and then having a lot of friends who were social workers, uh, when I did go back to school, I just felt it was within the first class. I was just, you kind of know when you're with your people. Sure. You know, yes. you just, yeah. You're yeah. like, oh, these, these are my people. Nice. Uh, and I just felt comfortable. Yeah. Right away. So f- kind of fast forward then a little yeah. bit, right? So then you, you got your bachelor's and mm-hmm. you, you received a master's as well. Yeah. And right, a lot of the soul searching, which you do in your twenties, and then yes. you kind of find the academic part yeah. in the thirties. What was that next progression for you once you, once you graduated? How did you kind of get to the next thing? Sure. So as I mentioned, we had to do, uh, different internships and different rotations. And one of the rotations that I did was I did spend, it was either a week or two weeks. I'm sorry. That was 10 years ago. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Testing yeah, the memory. Yeah, yeah. I did an internship with the Eastern Area Agency on Aging. Yeah. So I spent some time there. Uh, had always heard great things about the agency, knew they had a good reputation in the community, did, did a lot of really good service. And so being that I wanted to work with older adults, uh, it was one of the first, it was one of the first places that I applied when I was finishing up my graduate degree. So finished that, uh, applied for an opening that they had, uh, which was very part time. It was very part, but I just, you know, you got to get your foot in the that's door right, somehow. Right. Sometimes yeah, right. you just got to do what it. You gotta do. Yeah. So, uh, applied and, and was offered the position as uh, came in as what they kind of consider a, a person who helps with benefits specialist, helped with volunteers. We have a lot of volunteers too. So help train the volunteers do that. So I learned the first thing I learned when I came to the agency was all about Medicare. Sure. I became a, a Medicare expert pretty quickly. Well, I shouldn't say pretty quickly. It actually takes about three years before you start to feel really comfortable with your Medicare expertise. Um, but that was my first, my first job in the agency. So maybe just back out a little bit then and talk about just the agency in general, Mm -hmm. but, um, maybe just kind of the background of, of how those agencies work. Mm -hmm. How do people interact with them? And is there only just one in the state? How do they work maybe nationally? What's how, why were they built? What's the history of them and kind of what's their service? uh, what, What purpose do they serve? Yeah. And, and area agencies on aging have been around for a really long time. They actually came about back in the 60s. Uh, they were funded through what's called Older Americans Act funding. So a lot of the funding that we do get is federal. But area agencies on aging, at least all of the ones in Maine, are private social service nonprofit agencies. That's one thing that a lot of people, there's a misconception. A lot of people think that we're federal government or state government. We're not. We do receive some federal and state funding, but we're all the five area agencies on aging in Maine are private nonprofit agencies. We, as I said, there are five in Maine. Uh, and the way that those were set up, uh, they all came to be back in, in the seventies, 1973. So we we celebrated our 46th year this year, wow. which is wonderful. And we are kind of broken up by county. So the Eastern Area Agency on Aging, uh, we service Penobscot, Piscataquis, Washington, and Hancock counties. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an area agency on aging that just covers Arista County. There's one called Seniors Plus that kind of covers the western part of the state. 
There's one in the central main area that covers Augusta, kind of down into the Damascata area called Spectrum Generations. And there's one in the southern part of the state that covers York and Cumberland County called the Southern Maine Agency on Aging. So we have five in Maine. Uh, across the country, there are 622 wow. across the country. So no matter where someone is, uh, you know, if they live in Maine or maybe they're part-time somewhere another part of the year, there is an area agency on aging in their state. So question for you then around just kind of how those work. And uh, my my background, I was, I was a board member and literacy volunteers for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And what, what I found on the literacy volunteer side was that a lot of this was all grassroots. So there would be a need in a pocket of an area, and then yeah. they just create the, the organization to fit the need. Yeah. Is that, um, I, I guess it's that's my question on the aging agencies is, is that how they got built as well? And how did you guys all kind of divide and kind of think mm-hmm. about uh, your territories and how do you then partner and work with each other as people are maybe migrating across county lines? Yep. Back in the seventies, when it was first, when it was first set up, it was actually set up through the governor, uh, the governor's office and the governor, I think office worked with who, whoever was kind of up and running at that time to decide where they would be split up. There is some overlap, I would definitely say, because I mean, some people work in another county and then live in another county. And some for some people, it might be more convenient for them to come to Bangor, even though maybe they live in Winterport, which is a different county. Because sure. um, so we we try to we just try to make it as easy as possible for people about where they where it is, is for them to get their resources. I would say when it started back in the seventies, grassroots, the kind of the main, the main programs centered around nutrition. So the Meals on Wheels program, which most people know, mm-hmm. uh, is, is kind of what most area agencies on aging are most well known for. It's grown over time, obviously. We do a lot with connecting people to resources. I would say that that is probably, I'm, awed by our staff daily and what they know for resources that are available in the community. I'll tell people, we may not always offer the service that you need, but we're always going to know where to send you for who Mm. does offer that service. That's one thing our staff are just fantastic at. So Meals on Wheels is definitely a basic program that I would say almost every area agency on aging across the country offers, definitely. Resource development is another one. Caregiver support is a huge one. That's one that a lot of the area agencies on aging do. So if you're caring for a spouse or a partner or a parent uh, who maybe has an Alzheimer's or dementia diagnosis, or maybe uh, has been diagnosed with cancer and you just don't even know where to start, you know, should they, can they stay at home still? Uh, should I be looking for a facility? Should they be moving in with me? Just a million questions that people have as they start to get these diagnoses. We have people that help with that too. The other biggest thing that we do is around Medicare. We do a lot of Medicare counseling. Sure. Well, there's a lot of questions, right? And <laughs> it's are. always changing. There are. Right. And yeah. especially where I, I think there's a lot of people that are retiring at different ages, right? Mm-hmm. Is they may not also be eligible for Medicare immediately when they're retiring. So they're thinking about that gap and when I become eligible mm-hmm. and uh, what plans to be buying or mm-hmm. selecting and lots. Our clients just have a tremendous amount of questions there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the thing about Medicare that always struck me right from the beginning was that I always thought it's health insurance. It, this should be very cut and dry, right? It just, just should be very easy to understand. And it's so complicated. It really is because there is a lot of gray area to it. 
you know, when Medicare first started, you had basic Medicare, you had, you know, Medicare Part A, Medicare Part B, and then supplemental plans came in because there's a portion of if you go into the hospital, Medicare is only going to cover 80% of any covered service. So there's always going to be 20% that's not covered. So supplemental plans came to be in, I would say, the early to mid 90s. Mm-hmm. And those will cover what Medicare doesn't cover. Uh, and then Medicare Part D started. Uh, and, you know, in 2000, 2001, right around that area. And then that's very complicated. Medicare Part D, there's an open enrollment period for Medicare Part D every year. And we help with that. We definitely help with that. We set up individual appointments with people to walk them through that process. And I really encourage people every year that they should at least look at their Medicare Part D plan and see if the one that they have is the best fit for them. Because if medications have changed at all throughout the year, uh, formularies change on the plans that people are in, and it's always good to take a look. The plan that, that you're in might be the best one and you can just stay in it. But it's always a good idea to look every single year. So, Diane, just back that out, though, yeah. for a second. So, if, hey, I, I'm el- newly eligible for Medicare yeah. um, or I'm thinking about being eligible for Medicare at yeah. some point. Who would I go to to start? Like, mm-hmm. what, how does that process start? Like, yeah. They contact us and then what happens? Yeah. So, most people will contact us and they'll say, I'm going to be turning 65 soon. And it's either I'm going to retire which we say congratulations, right? <laughs> or, or they say, I'm still going to be working for a little while. You know, I might be just be working part time, uh, or I could be working full time and I'm going to keep my, my employer insurance too, uh, which that always complicates mm-hmm. things a little bit. So what we've developed, because there are so many people aging into Medicare within the state of Maine, there are approximately 800 people a month who are turning 65 years old. Wow. Yeah, which is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and for you guys specifically in your geographic footprint, mm-hmm. how many people are you seeing on a monthly basis that are kind of in that group? We're doing what we call Medicare 101 clinics because okay. what we found is that a lot of people were coming in with a lot of the same questions and we kind of we do a classroom environment. So we do two classes every month in Bangor. Right now, the the space that we have is kind of limited. So we have about 25 people who can come in each class. So that's about 50 people that we're seeing a month in Bangor. We also do a clinic in Dover. Uh, We do a clinic in Callis. We do one in Ellsworth, one in Bucksport. So we figure we're seeing, you know, 25 to 30 people in each of those classes every month. Plus, we're doing individual, if some, if for some reason somebody can't make uh, the class, we'll do individual appointments with people first. We really like them to do the classes because, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes when I sit in a class environment, somebody will ask a question that maybe I hadn't thought That's of. Right. I'm like, oh, I'm yeah. so glad they yeah. asked that because I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah. So the class environment works really well for the 101, um, for new, people new to Medicare. And we take them kind of just through a, what we call the ABCs of Medicare, mm-hmm. Medicare Part A, Medicare Part B, prescription drug coverage with Part D. Uh, if they have coverage that they're going to keep through their work, how that works. Uh, maybe they might have VA benefits, how that works with VA benefits. If they have a spouse, maybe who's still going to be working and maybe they're going to be covered under their spouse's insurance. So we have staff and volunteers that go in depth into this. It's about an hour and a half, two hour class that people sit through. And then if they still have questions after that, we do one-on-one appointments with them to answer even more. And those one-on-one appointments. So how do those work? So I I still have questions. Are they they generally like an hour or so? Yeah. And what would somebody have to bring? So like I have questions and I want to make sure I'm fully prepared for my our time together. And I want to make sure I'm not wasting your time and also vice versa as I'm able to get solutions. 
how would that person come prepared for that meeting? Yeah. So one of the things that we can screen them for is if they are, if they are somebody who's lower income, maybe we can help them. There are a few state programs that will help pay for their prescription drug coverage. So one of the things we usually ask is somebody just to bring annual income mm-hmm. or monthly income. Uh, we also, if, if they are ready to sign up for Medicare Part D, we ask them to bring a list of all of their prescriptions with them too. And of course, their Medicare card, because Medicare just changed their cards recently. They used to be your social security number, and now they've changed them all. Mm-hmm. So everybody, it's, it's wonderful. It's actually much better for, for deterrent for fraud sure. and mm-hmm. for people to steal your identity. So we ask people to bring their Medicare card with them because on their Medicare part, it will have their effective dates. Uh, and that's one of the things that you're asked online when you go in is what the effective dates are. If you want to enroll somebody in a Medicare Part D plan, they have to have those. So I would say if they bring uh, proof, uh, their income with them, prescription drugs and their Medicare card, that would be pretty much what we need them to bring to a one-on-one appointment. Yeah. Right. In regards to... You know, people are always skeptical about, well, what I don't know. And that's yeah. like, so one of the things that maybe people would be questioning is, so does it cost me anything? So right. if I'm going to sit down with you, there's an expert here and there's yeah. a class, like I'm, I'm using your resources. So am I going to get a charge or a bill for doing that? Yeah. No, no, no charge for that. Okay. No, we're, we love donations sure, right. <laughs> if sure. you want to give us donations. Um, but no, there's no charge for those services. Okay. Yeah. Oh. So obviously the Medicare counseling is, is one big area of need that people have and, and people use of yours, but, um, and you talk about meals on wheels. Mm-hmm. What other services, um, does the agency offer for, for people that are aging? We offer right now actually quite a few wellness classes. One of the things that, that I worry about a lot, and I know that, that a lot of our staff worry about as people get older is, uh, social isolation. Mm-hmm. We really worry about people isolating themselves. So we're trying to create uh, wellness classes where people can get out and exercise, uh, you know, do yoga. Mm. Um, but we even, we're even offering classes that are more just about enrichment too. We offering, if people want to play card games, we're trying to get some movie nights started with people. Uh, we have someone who's coming in and helping, um, create flower, uh, paper flower classes, just different things to get people engaged and out of their house because social isolation is a serious issue, especially in our area because it is, it's rural. I think there's a misconception. I, I do see this quite a bit too of people who will move here from out of state. They will move here from New York, New Jersey, wherever. And they'll go to Washington County or Hancock County in beautiful June, July, August, and September when things are lovely. And then they move here and they retire here and don't realize how isolating it can be in certain pockets of our area, especially in the wintertime. So we're really trying to create programs that get people out of the house and get them connected. We have a book club that we're doing uh, that's grown so much. We're probably going to have to split the group up because we have so many people in it now. So one of the things that we want to know is we want to know what people want too. Mm. I mean, these are the things that we think people want, but we are constantly asking people in the community, what is it that you'd like to see? What is it that you'd like for us to be doing? Well, just with with our population, again, it gets into goal attainment a lot, and and, uh, which is the name of the podcast, right? Is Retirement Success in Maine. Right. And there's a lot of times that just people uh, have the the statement or the goal attainment of, you know, I – I want to be in my home mm-hmm. as long as possible, yep. right? And that goal almost starts in 
that late fifties, early sixties, you hear them say that and they start thinking about, well, I have to retrofit my house and I have to make it be that I, you know, the, the door frames are wider because if I'm in a wheelchair or if I need other assistance to move from room to room or bathrooms need to be accessible and all of those things are, are happening. So if you are aging in that home and that's where you want to be having services available to them of, it's because it's not only that. Hey, if I'm unable to go get a meal, you know, here's here's this agency that can provide me these meals, and right. that that's a great service. But that you're supporting them and surrounding them with everything that there, there's maybe a social need that's that's happening and and getting them out. And there might be, and I don't, we haven't covered this yet, but I know there's an academic need at times. Mm-hmm. So if people are looking to take, uh, and I think you have an elder college as well, the Penobscot Valley Senior College. Can yes. you talk about that as yeah. a as kind of this other? Hey, I always want to learn a skill, or I always sure. want to learn something. Yeah, but I was too afraid to do it, and I think that's a really great benefit that you guys are offering and in, in a partnership there of. of kind of doing that. So I'd love for you to explore that a little bit more. Sure. Yeah. And and I'm actually glad that you brought up the planning ahead <laughs> for people <laughs> yeah. as, as they're aging, uh, because it is something that we still see that people aren't doing. And I would even go one step further to say that I really think that people should be thinking about this in their late forties. Sure. Um, we see so many people who are in homes that just are not the right fit for mm-hmm. them anymore. And these are people who are in their late seventies and early eighties who just now it's, it's a really hard time to start thinking about exactly what you mentioned, you know, the retrofitting and, and oh, I don't have a bathroom on the first floor Mm -hmm. and this is going to make things very difficult. And, you know, we see a lot of people who their families have moved out of state. So they're having to do a lot of these things on their own when they're in their seventies and eighties. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I do think it's something that people in their forties and fifties should definitely be planning for. And it's a hard thing to do when you're in your forties sure. and fifties. Yeah. It's not something you think about. Cause at that point, you're probably thinking about um, your own family, right? <laughs> right. Just, well, yes. maybe I got little ones or maybe I have extended family yes. that, that I'm close to. Or they're and, caring for their own parents. Yeah. yeah. And, that sandwich generation. Yeah. And, yeah. and maybe I'm not retrofitting for my own purpose, but maybe retrofitting for, uh, and this happened to my parents is, uh, and my aunt and uncle is they had my grandfather move in with them mm-hmm. and they were sharing them between houses yep. from, uh, for the last 10 years of his life. Yes. And you just go, well, you know, what's feasible and how do you make it work? And I, I do want to ask you more about that, uh, yes. by the way, um, yeah. for, uh, for later, but yeah. that's something where the, there's a lot of needs and I, you hear from the, from the Bangor City Council as well, hearing about the housing stock mm-hmm. and and that this isn't just a, hey, there's a house or a house here or there that it really isn't meant to age well, but really all of them, yes. right, is is that you ha- either have limited budgets, people are, are only in Social Security, and they're, they're saying, I'm in my house and it really isn't the right fit for me, mm-hmm. but what do I do? I want to be here. Right. I've lived here my whole life. Right. I can't really keep it up on repair though. I can't do these things myself. I don't right. have money to do it. So there's a, there's a, there's a need. I know on a very micro basis in Bangor, but yeah. uh, maybe nationally or even maybe more in Portland as well. Right. Well, and, and the city of Bangor, I feel is being really proactive um, and really trying to look at the housing stock and also just come up with some creative ways to do this. And one of the things I've, I've been hearing a lot of about lately is um, home sharing. The, the concept of home sharing. Mm-hmm. And I know this, it's a very popular concept. I've spoken with a couple of other groups in New Hampshire and Vermont who've got a really great program going that they do. Uh, but it's this concept of exactly what you said. You have an older adult who's in a home who doesn't want to leave their home, who loves their community and wants to stay here because, you know, they've grown their life here. 
but they're having difficulty maybe with the lawn mowing mm-hmm. or just the, the basic upkeep of the house. And so there are programs nationally where they will match up someone. And it doesn't necessarily have to be an older person. It just could be any two people. But it will match up somebody who's looking for a place to live uh, with somebody who's looking for somebody to move in with them. A lot of the programs are very detailed. Some of them include um, even mediation services. You know, I mean, sometimes you get into a living sure. environment. It's not perfect. Uh, so there, some of them have mediation. There's usually a contract that's drawn up between the two people. A lot of them have a trial period. They might do a two-week trial period just to see how it works out. And the idea is not that this person would provide activities of daily living or, you know, care, health care for this person, but just that they would help out with some of the things around the house. And especially in Bangor, in greater Bangor, where housing is so hard to come by, Mm -hmm. and we have so many universities and colleges in the area Mm -hmm. for students who are always looking for housing, um, this could be a, this could be a good option in our area. Interesting. Yeah. Something to, something to keep on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. So, and with that is, because it kind of lends to this point of somebody's living by themselves, Mm -hmm. right? In, in a home. And it may be that, Maybe they did have a partner that has passed away. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty seminal moment that we just see with, you know, you start in the early retirement stage and then you're getting into retirement. And, you know, there's all these hopes and dreams about doing all these things together. But, you know, sometimes things happen, whether someone gets incapacitated or then they pass. Are there resources that you guys offer in terms of that moment, right? Is, is kind of around it, um, the, the, the planning of it or the psychological repair of that? Yeah. Cause again, you're offering services for people that maybe can get more attainment or educational, uh, attainment or maybe just foundational, whether it be food or mm-hmm. other services, but, or medical. But is, is there something that you guys are offering to that? Cause I think that's, that's a really hard moment where your, your life partner no longer there. Yes. Um, ha- What's my purpose? Yeah. Right. Cause my, they were my purpose. Yeah. And, and how do I, how do I proceed and how do I find what I should, who I am and who I should be? And you're exactly right because I, and this, I just, it's so funny you bring this up. I just had a call about this. It was, it was within the past two weeks of someone who had lost their spouse and uh, they were very concerned because they were obviously getting social security benefits from both spouses mm-hmm. and to now have to work with just one spouse or social security benefits. They were very worried about income mm-hmm. and those moments of losing a spouse or a divorce, you know, any of those kind of pivotal life moments seem to be when a lot of people tend to go into bankruptcy mm-hmm. or just have some financial issues. So I would completely agree with you that if somebody, if that has happened for somebody, one of the things that we can do is we can sit down with them, kind of connect them with social security. Cause obviously we, we're not social security, sure, but we, right. we have a lot of um, connections with the social security office. So we can help with that. We can help them fill out any needed paperwork. We do a lot of three-way calls where we'll call the social security office with the person and kind of try to walk through the call with them and kind of help them. Cause sometimes it's just language. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, there's, there's a lot of terminology and acronyms that are thrown around mm-hmm. in our business. And so we just try to help with that. The other thing you said is trying to keep somebody from at that point kind of going inward. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And yes. isolating yeah. themselves is, is a real problem. 
Um, so getting them out into the community, one thing I would, would kick myself later if I didn't say is volunteering. I mean, volunteering is huge. Uh, we, we do also offer support groups. So if someone is a caregiver and has been a caregiver for a while, even if their caregiver passes away, we have a lot of people who still continue to come to the support groups. Just because someone passes away doesn't mean that they're not still processing the things that are going on in their life. So having a support group available is really important too. Or also is, you know, again, kind of the idea of purpose, right? Is, is here somebody that maybe they cared for their parent or Mm -hmm. maybe, or a loved one and they, they really learned a lot, right? They had to go through a lot to figure out how to care for somebody as they're aging until they pass away. Yeah. And they go, you know, if I'm a part of a group and there's somebody else that's going through this and there's a lot of emotional baggage with it and there's yeah. a lot of uh, learned uh, system level lessons here, yeah. that maybe they're sharing that with other people mm-hmm. as part of that support group too. So that I, I, I'm just a big proponent of, well, what is my purpose? And, right. you know, if I, I feel like I'm producing something, I'm, I'm being uh, valuable to somebody else. Yeah. It, that's that's going to lend to that feeling of attainment and that whole uh, idea of success, right? Yes. Is is because it's this whole I, I you know I've lost that and I my parents uh, went or my father went through that as well with his father. Yeah. Is this well? I'm no longer caring for him. Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. That was all encompassing of my life. Yeah. And what do I do next? Mm-hmm. That's a good soul searching moment there. And to plug into something where other people are, are, are seeing that or, or experiencing that or, Hey, I'm, I went through what you were going through two years ago. Yes. And be able to lend those lessons back and forth, which is kind of what I love about Maine is, mm-hmm. is those community <laughs> lessons is that yes. we're, we're very neighborly and we're yes. all very genuine, authentic. We want to help each other. Yes. And it's not from a misplaced, um, idea. It's, it's, it's very, it's very true and, and genuine. Yeah. So. Support groups are good for that. Volunteering is good for that. You had mentioned senior college before, Penobscot Valley Senior College. Uh, And there are senior colleges across the state. Um, The senior college, we support the senior college here in Maine, uh, in in our area. And And it's a very active group. They offer, I was, some of the classes are just, they're really interesting. I mean, they, they have an array of everything from historical to religion to, um, they have one day speakers who come in and we'll talk about the Supreme Court and, and they pack rooms. I mean, these classes are everywhere really? and they, they offer classes in the spring and the fall and they're, they're great. I mean, pe- people just, they're, you, lifelong learning is a fantastic thing. Sure. Uh, you know, and, and just because you're, you know, graduated college and have moved on doesn't mean that you still can't be learning new, new and different things. So. Well, and, yeah. and Diane, I, I think we're, we see a lot when we, we have these conversations with people is that, look, they, they've had a binge in their career, right? Mm-hmm. Is that I'm going to be the expert in my career field yeah. and I got a lot of passion about it. And then they go, you know, I'm burnt out. I'm tired. Yeah. I'm just done and I got to do something else. Yeah. And this whole I- idea of, you know, I always wanted to know about uh, the Civil War a little bit more. I always wanted to learn about yeah. you know, how the political system worked. Those are reinvigorating ideas, mm-hmm. right? And and kind of this this idea of going back to school and doesn't have to mean well I have to go get another degree, right? But if I take like a class that's six or eight weeks, or yeah. if I if I do this here or there, or if, you know I always want to work with my hands and I never got to know uh, woodworking or welding, yeah. 
uh, that's stuff that just lends back to I'm a more enriched and happier person. I feel in, alive and engaged. And those are just, again, kind of the things that there's a very necessary need for uh, those sorts of institutions to be around. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think... I think there's so much to do in our area. I always find it funny when people will say, Oh, there's not, there's not anything to do. And I'm like, you're not looking that hard because <laughs> there's, there's lots to do in our area. Don't you feel like it's, uh, and maybe this is just as things are changing over time is mm-hmm. that now because of Google, there's so many things that people know and they get overwhelmed mm-hmm. and they go, well, where, well, where do I you could, start? Yeah. Where do I start? <laughs> and what should I be doing with mm-hmm. myself? And, and they are almost turning that off of their, information overloaded and they right. just get analysis paralysis and just shut off completely. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think that is happening. I think that's when it's important too to kind of go back to whatever it is that kind of you're passionate about. You know, if, if you're passionate about gardening, there's, you know, lots of gardening groups you could be into or books or, you know, exercise, being outside and in, in nature, whatever it is, there's definitely always something to do in this area. So I'll, I'll switch streams for you a little bit here for a second. What would be, would say would be like the best kept secret about your nonprofit. Like what you wish that people knew they just don't know. Mm-hmm. They, they have just no idea about. And I'm putting you on the spot. No, 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 that's, that's all right. You know, it still shocks me because we are on TV quite a bit. Uh, we go on the radio. We have a newsletter that we send out. Uh, we have flyers. We obviously do presentations in the community. We try to be out as much as possible. And I think it's not that we're, there's any one well-known secret. It's just that the agency is a well-known secret yeah, sometimes, right? I feel Honestly, like. Yeah. Um, we'll ha- I'll have people that will call and they'll say, I just found out about you. And it used to bother me when people would say that. And now I think to myself, you know what? You didn't need us at that point. Right. And, right. and as long as you found out about what the agency can offer at the point when you need our services, that's really all that matters. Yeah. Then you did your job, especially exactly. on the marketing end. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And because a lot of, a lot of it is word of mouth. That's how what most people will say. They'll say, Oh, I talked to my neighbor and they said that you help, you were able to help their, their kids or their parents with this. And this is exactly what I need help with. So a lot of it is word of mouth. And I'll kind of add to it too is to this idea of people that they think that aging is somebody that is older than them. <laughs> yes. Right. It's like, well, I'm not there. Right. That's not me. I'm right. not, I'm not old enough to be kind of working, which I like what you, what we've already gone through in part of the conversation is, well, maybe you aren't old enough. It could be, Hey, you're 25 years old and you're working with somebody that, you know, you're caregiving for, or, you know, it's, it's everything around the population. It's not necessarily that I'm in the population or I have to identify myself there or have a need that it's, it's kind of the, the whole spectrum of those, of those generations that could be using those, those services you're offering. Absolutely. Well, and it's, for me, it's a lot about terminology and I, I try to be so sensitive to this because I've been educated recently that I should stop using the word senior. Right. Then this is, this is not a good word to use, which is really difficult when you think about it because if you go into a store who offers a discount, they call them senior discounts, right? right? Yes. So we're trying, I'm trying to figure out other words that I was told that it should be older adult, not senior. So now I'm trying to look at all terminology that we use across everything in our organization and say, okay, should we be taking senior out of everything we use? Uh, and then you'll have, you'll meet some people who will say, I'm, I don't care that I'm called a senior. It doesn't bother me. You know, they, they see it as a, as a rite of passage in life. So it doesn't really bother them. Well, I, I and I add too is that yeah. look, 
you know, we, we have people that they have a successful career and they, for whatever reason, it ends, but that's how they identify themselves. Yeah. And you go, well, so what are you up to? And they go, well, I'm still looking for a job. Yeah. Like, well, aren't you retired? And yeah. they go, well, no, I, so I've never retired. So right. it's like, they're not retired. Yep. They don't view themselves as older. They could be 93 years old and go, well, you know, I, I still think a part-time job might be mm-hmm. a really good thing for me to keep I me going. I see that all the time. Yes. They go, it's, it's their... <laughs> introspective look at themselves and who they are. Right. They think they're 16 years old or they have this, Hey, I'm vibrant. I'm young. I still have it. Yeah. I'm still with it. I still want to do things with my life. It doesn't matter if I'm 98, 24, 106. It doesn't matter. I'm capable and I want to do things. Absolutely. Well, and, and I think volunteering is a big part of that because for some people, their next phase or their, their encore career might be volunteering. Right. Uh, and we, we find a lot of people in the, in the 12 years that I've been at the agency, we've had quite a few people who have come in as volunteers into the agency and then have moved into being employees after they have retired. Right. Just because they love what they're doing so much and they're so good at it that when, when positions become available at our agency, they apply. So, you know, anything is possible. Uh, and I just wanted to loop back to something that you said about getting help at any age. That is one misconception I would say about mm-hmm. our agency is that a lot of people think, oh, I have to be 50 mm-hmm. or 60 or whatever it is to call the agency to get help. And we have people, as you said, who are in their 20s or 30s who call us and say, I'm caring for my neighbor mm-hmm. who needs help. Uh, or caring for my parents, or just that they may have general questions about anything, about how a service works. So that is one thing. You don't have to be 50 (laughs) or 60 years old to call our agency. Maybe that's a good segue, is kind of going into retirement success. Yeah. So if you're looking at people that are, either be aging Mm -hmm. or in retirement, or however we want to categorize it, what would you say that in terms of navigating retirement and aging, what are they doing well and what are they not doing well? And I, I'll, I'll preface that, but it sounds like that maybe there's a pride thing and then maybe that's the thing that they're not doing well. Yeah. But I'll, uh, but I, I'm really interested in that is like from your perspective, what do you see people that they're actually doing maybe better than we thought and yeah. then areas that maybe they're, they could be improving? I feel like it's people who pl- plan ahead for it. And I'm not just saying in the financial sense, but sure. mentally plan ahead for it. Yeah. You know, not that it kind of just shows up on your doorstep one day and, you, oh, here it is, retirement. <laughs> because it, it you, exactly the word you used earlier, I, identity. There is a lot of your identity wrapped up in what you do. And if so much of your life has been wrapped up in that and you haven't had things outside of that, when that day comes and you're not getting up at 6 a.m. to be at work by 8, there's this, what do I do? Right. So I think for people who plan ahead financially, but also emotionally and mentally prepare for what's next, I I run into a lot of people, and a lot of people say, oh, women prepare much better for it than men do. I actually find it's both. I find there are a lot of men who are also very prepared for the next stage too. It's it's about even. Uh, But people who come to me and say things like, I can't wait to retire so I can do X, yeah. whatever that is. Yep. Those are people that are ready. Yep. Those are people that are ready for the next stage. Uh, the people that come kicking and screaming and dragging their feet and just are not looking forward to that day. Uh, and I'll, 
and you can tell instantly when yeah. you ask them the question, oh, you're going to be retiring. That's great. You kind of get this, you know, yeah. Yeah. The, vo- the voice either goes down <laughs> yes. or it goes up. Right. Right. And we, we use this statement a lot is people that are successful in retirement really are good at retiring to something mm-hmm. and not from something. Right. Right. So when your identity is I'm a this yeah. and it's your career, right. essentially. Yeah. And if you strip that away, then what am I? Right. And that's the scary moment, right? It's like, you're taking away the core thing of who I am. Yeah. And you want me to be happy about that? Right. You know, those are the people that are, you just. I, you know, I worry. I yeah, worry that, about that's, them. Yeah, that's very hard. Yeah, I, I wor- those are the people that I worry about that will isolate themselves. Um, because it's it's easy to do if you haven't kind of built that network uh, while, while you've been going through your working life. Uh, and your, your work people are your network. Uh, it can be very hard when you jump into that next phase. And there's a, there's also a piece of, of that with sometimes when people are more career focused or that that's what how they identify themselves is is with that career is that this whole idea of well i'm successful because of what people think i'm supposed to be mm-hmm. and not who i really am mm-hmm. so this whole well if i'm retiring into who i really am as well yeah and i have other pieces of my life whether it be, hey, I got family and on a previous episode of podcast, we talked to our, our, our partner, Wes, and he was talking about he had a, a couple that they had family in California. Yeah. They were successful and they were career oriented, but they just didn't know about taking that leap and putting all this. Thing. So they had to plan. Yeah. Once they had a plan, then they're all excited about it. Then they went to California. Yeah. They didn't have any friends, they didn't, but they planned that whole moment. Yeah. So when they landed there, they knew the resources, they knew the structure, yeah. they knew where they're, what the, how they're going to spend their time. Right. And it wasn't that, Hey, I, I got done. I just landed and I didn't have any concept of what it was. So they, this whole thinking process yeah. of what makes me happy. And we kind of have this whole, a lot of people have hobbies and they go, well, I'm just going to do the hobby. Well, you can't hobby right. golf or <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I, or... I plan to take a lot of yoga classes. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Maybe you could do that for 40 yeah. hours, right? You'd burn yeah. a lot of calories, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, but I, I, I can't wait to volunteer. I mean, I, I yeah. try to volunteer as much as I can in my community, but I'd love to be able to do it more. Yeah. So I, we're not there yet, but I wanted to get to that then. Yeah. So what's what's your idea of then retirement success? What would you say would make you successful in retirement and being more of who you are? Yeah. This is a dream thing too, right? It is, yeah. yeah. And for me, it is always about the balance. Um, So I try to stay as balanced as I can right now between work and trying to have life outside of work. Sometimes I do better with that than others. I'm in a phase right now of not doing so great with it, spending a lot more time uh, in the work environment. But I feel like for me in retirement, that balance would still have to be there. So this might sound weird, but I feel like retirement can't all be about fun. I mean, I, I, yes. I, I mean, I, yes. and I know uh, it's, it's yeah. supposed to be, but I feel like there are other things to do in retirement too that are still going to be kind of in the not fun category. So I, I want to keep that balance as I get into retirement. Obviously financially, I mean, I, I mm-hmm. plan right now financially for retirement with my husband. We keep a very close eye on that, but I'm also one of those people that, I don't have any plans to retire early. I I, I want to work as late as I can. Now, there are some people that are just counting the day yeah. until they can retire, um, and I don't I don't have that number in my head. Uh, Which going back to your bio though, right, yeah. is kind of you talking about like you found a purpose, right? Yeah. So when you find a purpose and you get 
energy from that purpose. And yeah. at five o'clock, you're not drained. Right. You're energized right. because I did it today. Yeah. It's different. It right? is. You go, <laughs> I actually love what I'm doing yeah. and I love, and maybe I don't have to be in a certain role. Right. But being part of that and having that be part of my life. Right. Well, and to work with other people. I mean, you don't work in this field in social services and, you know, unless you really kind of have a passion for right. what this work is. So yeah. I obviously work with other people who want, they want to be there. Sure. You know, they want yeah. to be there every day. And so they're fantastic to work with. So but, it's a great place to go to work every day. That's great. Yeah. But when those have jobs, right? Yeah. It's like, it's a job. Yes. You know, it's, it's an exchange of yeah. my human time yes. and capital for, for money. Yes. So yeah. it's really easy to understand how it someone is. would want to get done there and yeah. and be done and yeah. which is essentially the idea of retirement anyway it yeah. was it was more of a blue collar type thing and right. and I was physically unable to do this job anymore and yeah. so I had to get done and how do I support these people right. that are no longer able to work yeah so it's yeah. you know historically how you look at it Absolutely. and how it is changed but yeah. so I think kind of continuing on the line what challenges would you then see Someone that's newly retired today, mm-hmm. what do you think? So obviously they're going to have challenges right now in terms of figuring out retirement. What do you think you know, the last 30 years has been different for someone that maybe is closer towards the end of life yeah. than someone that's retiring now and progressing for the next 30 years? How do you think that's going to change for this person that's retiring right now? You know, I think it's going to change a lot. And I th- and I think it's going to change a lot for our agency too. I, I'll give you one example. We have had for years something called community cafes in our area. They, they're basically sites that we have throughout our four county area where someone can go uh, if they're not homebound, because that's essentially what the Meals on Wheels program is for, is mm-hmm. for somebody who's homebound. But the cafes are out in the community uh, for somebody who um, can still drive, still is able to drive, who wants to go have lunch. Uh, I think we have 25 of them kind of scattered across the four counties. And we are seeing a decline in the people that are coming to those cafes. And so one of the things that we're starting to think about and kind of the plans over the next, you know, five to 10 years is why is it that people don't want to come to those cafes anymore? Now they're located in town halls and grange halls and churches and, you know, kind of wherever we can get space. But I don't know about you, but what I'm seeing lately is that Older adults want to go to coffee bars and they want to go to yeah. smoothie bars yeah. and, yeah. you know, yogurt and all, all yeah. of these things. And I think we have to start looking at these things differently. The things that used to appeal to the, the generation who were born in the, the twenties and the thirties is very different from what today's baby boomers want. They want to have, you know, wifi access when <laughs> right? they go somewhere. Right? Yeah. Um, and they want to be engaged and they don't want to be talked to. Do you know, we, mm-hmm. we, for years we've gone in and done presentations and just educated people about something and then they've eaten lunch. And what I think we're starting to see po- more is that people kind of want to be engaged talking mm-hmm. to each other, mm-hmm. not having somebody talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to really start to think completely differently about how we think about our programming which is why I'm constantly asking people, okay, if this doesn't interest you that we offer this particular program, what does interest you? What would you like to see happen? Like what's going to get you engaged and to come in and and sit down with a group of people and be involved in an activity? What activity would it be? Mm. Um, Yeah, we have to start thinking about things very differently. Which is, and you're seeing that going down the road, right? Yeah. Is is that maybe the the retirees today, the retirees in 15 or 20 years, 
And this is something where, you know, we're even on this podcast where we're looking at um, is getting people's stories, right? So we're, yeah. we're talking about resources today. Right. And a lot of the ones we've been doing re- is resources, but yeah. even people telling their story yeah. is to say, hey, could you come on and you, you got a really great story that you learned something in this yeah. moment about finding this and finding that. Right. And there's a, ooh, I don't want to put myself out there. I don't want to, that's not me. And, you know, a lot of Mainers anyway, right? Is we just don't like attention and right? we're humble and don't. I thought it was just me. Yeah. So it's like, that's just Maine, right? right. But this next generation, yeah. like, oh yeah, definitely. I'd love to have that conversation. Love yeah. to have it recorded. It's fine. And yes. I'm okay putting myself out there being yeah. vulnerable. Yeah. Right. And in this whole, I don't want to show vulnerability. I don't want to show, Hey, I went through something. Cause you yeah. know, from our perspective, we're looking at shared lessons, right? Is yeah. you went through this. Maybe somebody else is going through that too and could learn a lot from right. that experience. So there's all those threads there of, well, how are people changing and thinking about things and how are they going to interact and what's going to unlock them to want to go do that? Yeah. So it's, it's really fascinating mm-hmm. to kind of hear on your end how that's, that's it playing is. out. Well, and, and the baby boomer generation in and of itself is, is an enigma to me anyway, right, right. because they're just so unique. Right. I mean, the, you know, the traditionalist generation of the, you know, the, the twenties and thirties, you know, they, aren't big on questioning things, you know, they just kind of took the information and I mean, I'm generalizing greatly, but they, they just kind of get, get the information, take it in. And then, okay. The, I, if, especially if you're in the medical profession or, mm. you know, you just, yeah. they just take it in and accept it. But baby boomers, they like to question things, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is good. I mean, I don't, I, it's not a bad thing, but it's just kind of this whole new way that we, we kind of have to it's, think about it's things. It's the start of the Google generation. Yes. Right? We think yeah. about it as like, you know, now today generation, I think the, the number three ask question in Google today is, should I text him? Uh-huh. Right? So we're, we're really to the right. point of machines are kind of answering yes. everything in our life, including should I yeah. text uh, somebody that I'm dating? Right. But you, you kind of have this like WebMDs and all, Wikipedias yep. are, are very popular because of the influence into our entirety of our generations yeah. this way. So thinking about that and, and kind of your resources and putting that together, yeah. which is why I think we're thinking about it too, right? Yeah. Is this podcast of in Maine, yeah. right? What is success in Maine and what resources available to you? Right. So it's very localized. It's, yeah. it's very, you know, here's, hey, if I want to go talk to Diane yeah. or one of her staff members, yeah. she's here, she's available. I, I, I can put a face to that name. Right. So that's really cool. I, I will just kind of go to the next part here. I wanted to ask about events. Mm-hmm. So obviously you do ongoing ongoing programs. We do. But in terms of events where maybe a blitzkrieg into a certain topic or how you're thinking about things, can you talk about the events that you sponsor throughout the year generally? Sure. So the biggest event that we do every year, and I'm going to use the word, we do a senior expo. Right. <laughs> I don't know why I have to change the name now. There you go. Uh, we do a senior expo and we just, uh, we did our 13th senior expo. So we always do it in May because May is Older Americans Month. Uh, and for the past two or three years, we've held it at Husson University. Uh, it's fantastic day. Uh, usually it runs from about nine or nine thirty till two or two thirty in the afternoon. We're, we've been averaging about a thousand people coming through in a wow. five hour time period. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, usually about, uh, 90 vendors or so. And it's just this great opportunity for people to come through and get tons of information about assisted living or how to get home modifications or information about insurance or, I mean, it's just, it's all right there in mm. this one room. 
And I love it because people will come in and they'll turn around and they'll run into somebody that they haven't seen in a yeah. few years and then they'll start talking. And so I, I would say it's like all old home week and everybody kind of sure. just gets to catch up with each other. Uh, and we try to do some, uh, some events too, like some fitness events. So we try to do some line dancing going on, you know, just keep people active mm-hmm. while they're there. It's a fantastic day. Yeah. We, we plan for it months, takes months of planning to get it, get it pulled together. Um, but it, it's really a great event and we do it every May. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, the other part is, you know, we've covered a lot about just how important of a resource this is in the area. Um, and you have a wide geographic footprint to mm-hmm. cover. So in terms of funding, mm-hmm. so you talked about, look, you are a nonprofit yep. and you, you need help. Right. How do, if, if someone wants to support either because you've helped maybe a, a loved one of theirs sure. or a neighbor or something, or, or they're thinking about themselves and they want that resource available for the long term, how, yep. how do they kind of get involved on, on the funding part? Yep. Sure. So I, as I mentioned, we do, we do get some federal and state funding. I spend a lot of time grant writing. Sure. So I write to yep. a lot of foundations. It's a, it's a big part of my job. Uh, we do the senior expo every mm-hmm. year. So that, that's also another fundraiser that we do. And then we do have individual donors. So if somebody does want to give a, a donation to the agency, uh, they can do that. We have a website, uh, which, and we just updated our website about three or four months ago. So it's, okay. it's really, it's quite good. Yeah, right on the front page, there's a place that you can donate so they can do it that way. Uh, they can do an ongoing donation if they want to, or just do a one-time donation. A lot of the donations uh, do go to exactly what you're talking about. It's to feed people. I mean, yeah. the, the the funding that we get from the federal funding in no way covers all of the costs that are associated with the Meals on Wheels program. So we have to write grant applications and rely on other donations to try to keep that program going. What percentage of your overall income budget is, is supported by the federal and state government? Federal and state government combined last year was about 56%. Okay. So the other percentage is yeah. mixed up between sponsorships, donations, foundations. Wow. So a little more than half. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I guess for maybe just kind of a, a wrap up here and in, in the, we, we went in a little bit of the personal yeah. idea of, of success. But what would you say, uh, we kind of use this idea of Mount Rushmore of the thing that you could do or the four things you could do yeah. if you wanted to. But what would be the thing that you would say in retirement, I never got a chance to do this and I always wanted to do it? What would that be for you personally? I know you, you talk about balance. So yeah. I want to I want to stretch you a little bit there. Of yeah. the, wow, that would be that would just be life changing to do something. You know, and my husband will hate that I'm going to say this, <laughs> okay. but I tend, we won't tell him. Yeah. He, he won't, he'll never hear this. I tend yeah. to think very minimalist. So one of the things I would love to do is even live more of a minimal lifestyle, which okay. I don't feel like I live a minimal lifestyle, but that's mostly his fault. We're going to okay. put that on him. Okay. Um, <laughs> I would love to live a more minimal lifestyle. So for me, I don't know if I could make it into a tiny house, but I would really love to live in something small um, so that I just had freedom to do whatever I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it. Okay. To, to me, that's, that's what a a successful retirement would look like. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. That's an awesome answer. Yeah. Well, Diane, wanted to thank you for your time today. This was really fun. Thank uh, you. For, it's great. For both Chris yeah. and I, I think to, to hear and I, uh, look, I, these are questions that we get from our uh, from our relationships yeah. uh, on a, on the business side too. So our clients are having this. So this just allows and extends us to offer resources yeah. this way and just get to know you a little bit. Yeah. So that's that's really awesome. So thanks for being on the podcast Thank you. today. I've had a great time. Right. Yeah. Take care. Thank you.
So, so Curtis, I was really excited to have Diane on the podcast today. I thought she did a really great job uh, going through Eastern Area Agency on Aging, kind of hearing a little bit about the history. But what I was really impressed about with with Diane today, you could just really get her passion for and not only just for the job, but for the mission of the of the agency. It was uh, it was just pretty impressive to kind of hear about her background, the you know finding herself in kind of her career path, going to school for what she really wanted to be with social work, and then finding through the internship program that match for her. So that was that was pretty impressive. Yeah, it it was very clear very early in the episode how much she cares about what she does and that that was really cool to see yeah and to for me a takeaway you know i've always uh, known about the agency but for me to learn so much about what they do um, and really how much they help people it that was a very very good good podcast yeah for us yeah and, and of course diane herself she's uh, you can just see why she's the executive director right is she gets it um she she's uh, just a great public face for for the agency t- talking about all the uh, the need mm-hmm. very strategic and how she's thinking about the future for um you know in her words maybe seniors or yeah. people that are advancing but uh again i i just never really thought about well hey if i'm a caregiver for a parent or a loved one or a neighbor or whatever and I'm 30 years old that I would be going to, to them to, for right. help that. So that was a really cool point. Yeah. I, I know going into it for me, you know, I was excited to learn about the agency, but to that point of, you know, potentially being a caregiver for someone, it's, you know, in, in the back of my mind, I was, you know, I don't know how much this will pertain to me directly right now. But it does. It, it clearly does, or has the potential to. Or your your connections, right? Your yeah. network, and yeah. you know, all of a sudden, someone that you know is going through something. Like, geez, I versus I don't really have anything to offer you. Right. You know, going uh, going and listening to this podcast um, was was a pretty cool uh, education moment for me. For sure, yeah. So. For for those listening, really appreciate you tuning in today. Um, I, I think this will be a really great library one to catalog and and listen to. Again, I, I think there's enough resources and, and programs that the um, Eastern Area Agency, Agency on Aging is is uh, going through. So understanding a little bit more about them, uh, how they make an impact, how you can interact with them. Um, so if you want to go to the website as well, so blog.guidancepointllc.com, you're going to see a page for this blog. So what we're going to do is just have a little bit of the chapters of it, but um, some of the resources. So uh, obviously, we talked about several resources that you can access. So we'll have that there for you, and you can get a little more in- information on on them as well and, and get some links to their page. So look for that as a resource. Appreciate you tuning in today, and we're looking forward to catching you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information-filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisors' mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.